Thank you for joining us for Time in the Chapel. Each week we eagerly try to discover what God has been saying to us since time began and even further back than that. Sometimes it's right on the surface. Sometimes we have to dive a little bit deeper, but either way we do our best lean not on our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge him and expect that he will direct our paths so grab your bible prepare your hearts and minds hit the pause button long enough to pray for the help of the holy spirit and then join me as we open up the treasures of god's word there's one reality that I think many Christians are only now beginning to realize. Jesus Christ came to us through Judaism. In fact, and I don't mean to offend our Jewish friends, but Judaism is as much Christianity as Christianity is. And while we're at it, Christianity is as much Judaism as Judaism is. Most of the regulars to this program do not need to be convinced of the truth of those statements, and fewer and fewer others of the Christian faith actually find those statements so shocking. Most Jews, however, do not like me saying those things at all. Nonetheless, it's all true. In fact, my Christian brothers and sisters... Christ himself was a practicing Jew. Now, of course, he had to be for all of this to work out. What's more is all of the apostles were Jews with varying degrees of adherence to the religion. Paul was a Jew. James was a Jew. All of the gospel writers were Jews with the possible exception of Luke. So Judaism runs very deep in the religious practices of everyday Christians. That's why we spend so much time as a Christian teaching network learning about Judaism. The date of this podcast is 29 September. And this evening marks the beginning of the Jewish high holidays for the year 2019. Now, of course, that is as it relates to the international common calendar, which is often referred to as the Gregorian calendar, so named in honor of Pope Gregory XIII, who introduced it in 1582. However, if you want to be fully Jewish on the date thing, it is Tishri 1 of the Hebrew year 5780. In fact, let's get precise, shall we? At 6.37 p.m. local time, the sun sets in Jerusalem, marking the actual start of this important holiday. What Jewish holiday are you referring to, John? Rosh Hashanah. As you may or may not know, the Jewish day begins at sundown. Here in the U.S. and almost all of the rest of the Western world, a new day begins at midnight, not so for the Jew. 
it is tomorrow as soon as the sun sets. And since God's city is Jerusalem, that's really where we should probably mark the time of his holidays. Now, some of you may not have realized that God's city was Jerusalem, but it is. I'm sure some of you would prefer if God had chosen Rome or Dallas or Washington or Independence, Missouri, but he didn't. Those are man-made capitals. Jerusalem is God's seat of earthly government, and because of that, I believe it's best to reckon things on Jerusalem time when talking about timing in the Bible. Now, I'm not dogmatic about that. I certainly won't argue with you, but I still think it's the better place to start. So when the sun sets this evening in Jerusalem, the holiday that the modern Jews call Rosh Hashanah will begin. Now, to be sure, as I've said, this is a very important holiday to the Jewish people, and hopefully I will be able to convince you that it's important to the rest of us as well. Now, if you live in an area with a sizable Jewish population as I do, then it's not uncommon to hear horns blowing from time to time on this holiday. Now, of course, for some of you, this is a review. We've covered much of this in previous lessons. Today, I decided we'd go into a little more detail in honor of the start of this important day on the Jewish calendar. Now, the reason you will hear horns on this day in Jewish communities is because this day is also very commonly referred to as the Feast of Trumpets. In the Hebrew, it's Sikron Teruah, which is translated, not literally, but translated Memorial of the Blowing of Trumpets. That's the traditional, and to be perfectly honest, scripturally correct name. Leviticus 23, 24, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. So again, the scripturally accurate name for the holiday that begins at 6.37 p.m. time is the Feast of Trumpets. So naturally, you may be thinking, well, then why is it called Rosh Hashanah? Well, hopefully I won't offend anyone when I say this, but there's really only one reason, in my opinion, why the name has changed. Tradition. Now, tradition is sort of a dirty word around here, but let me say, this time it may be rather forgivable. For thousands of years, the Jews celebrated what was called the memorial of blowing of the trumpets in the Hebrew Zikron Teruah. But that changed not too long after the death of Christ. Like few things before or since, 
the destruction of the temple and the sacking of Jerusalem by the Romans in 7 AD had far-reaching effects on the worship practices of the Jews. Without the temple, much of what God had prescribed the children of Israel to do could no longer be practiced. The loss of the temple changed so many things that it's really one of the most tragic events in the long history of the Jews, and nowhere is this more true than the God-given seven feasts of Israel. Rosh Hashanah, the name most commonly used to refer to this feast in modern times, actually means head of the year. You and I might call it New Year. And it's called that because it marks the beginning of the civil year on the Jewish calendar. Not the religious new year, but the civil new year. Now, the civil new year had always coincided on the calendar with the memorial of the blowing of the trumpets, even way back in ancient times, long before the destruction of the temple. The head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, the marking of the civil new year, was just one of the things that was expected during the time of the memorial of the blowing trumpets. But that fact only really became significant around the 2nd century AD. You see, with the temple no longer in existence, worship in the synagogue grew in importance, and like the other feasts that were once celebrated in the temple, the Feast of the Blowing of the Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets was celebrated in the temple. Once the temple was destroyed by the Romans, that changed everything. That changed these feasts. And when the temple, which was once the place of worship for the Israelites, once it was destroyed, most of the celebrations moved over into the synagogues. And then the synagogue traditions became the more important focus of the celebrations. And in the synagogues, it was the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the, the civil new year. That's where that was celebrated regularly in ancient times. And so with the loss of the temple, the rise of the importance of the civil new year took front and center. So as I said, the tradition of the blowing of the trumpets became less and less important and the holiday stopped being referred to as the Feast of Trumpets largely and became more important to be their civil new year, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Hopefully that clears it up a little bit. It's very complicated. The loss of the temple was destructive to the worship practices of the Jews. Now I've left a lot of details out, so let's try to cover some of them, but I did not plan on this to be a very long lesson. The Feast of Trumpets. Let's just call it that from now on in this lesson, shall we? The Feast of Trumpets is actually quite unique in the celebration of Judaism. 
It is the only feast that begins on the new moon. Now, let me explain to you something very important. In God's system, it's the moon that's important, not the sun. It's the moon that marks the calendar and the celebration and the days as far as God is concerned, not the sun. Why? God never really says, but it's been my opinion that it's because God knew the worship of the sun would become the primary religion of the pagan people. He wanted to make sure he was separated out, that the, his religion, if you will, the worship of him would be unique and different. So God uses the moon to mark out his holidays, to mark out his calendars. So once again, the Feast of Trumpets begins during the new moon cycle of the lunar cycle, the, the new moon portion of the lunar cycle. Now you all know when it's the new moon, well, the moon is barely visible, if at all. Sometimes you can see the little, little sliver, sometimes not at all. The new moon is actually the beginning of the lunar cycle. As another interesting side note, this fact, the fact that the new moon was the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, actually presented a challenge for the priests. You see, all of the other feasts of Israel are actually held later in the lunar cycle when the moon is bright and sort of easy to recognize. It's easy to know when that portion of the lunar cycle begins, even on relatively cloudy nights. The priests, you see, were responsible for letting the worshipers know when the celebrations began. They would watch the moon as it traveled through its cycle. And when these officiates saw the moon transition to the right point, they let everyone know, party on. Now, the problem for the Feast of Trumpets, however, is that the moon isn't really visible at the start of the celebration. And therefore, the priests couldn't very often tell, frankly, if that very first sliver of the moon had peeked through, perhaps because of environmental conditions, you know, clouds and fog and even smoky campfires. So, and this is interesting, I think. So to make sure there wasn't any mistakes, the Feast of Trumpets actually gets two days just to be safe, or so the story goes. To this very day, the Feast of Trumpets is a two-day holiday. If the priests miss it that first day, they're given another day to get it right. To this day, the Feast of Trumpets is a two-day holiday. Now, although I've told you that the Feast of Trumpets is more scripturally correct, it's actually a bit of a misnomer, Feast of Trumpets. You see, it isn't a trumpet that's being used during this celebration. It's actually a horn. In fact, it's a ram's horn. 
it's an instrument, as the name implies, that actually comes from an animal, from a ram. The word in the Hebrew is shofar. Now, you may think that this is kind of a minor point, but let me see if I can convince you otherwise. Now, to be certain, actual trumpets were used in ancient Israel during worship-related activities. Scripture mentions that God commanded Moses to fashion, for example, two trumpets of silver, as it says in Numbers 10, verse 1, and that they should be of a whole piece, which means they were to be hammered out by hand from a single piece of metal, in this case, silver. That's a trumpet. But you see, a trumpet is something that's made by human hands. That's why Moses was told to hammer it out, meaning human hands were supposed to make trumpets. So, in essence, there were two different devices used as wind instruments that we today refer to as trumpets in biblically referenced celebrations. However, that's not correct. We shouldn't be calling them both trumpets. One is a trumpet that's made by human hands, and one's a horn that's not made by human hands. It comes from an animal. It is, in essence, made by God. One is made by man. One is made by God. Now, to be sure, there were set purposes for each type. The trumpet, the one made by man, would be sounded, for example, when the sacrifices were offered. Numbers 10.10, also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. Again, that was Numbers 10.10. That was when a trumpet, the one made by human hands, was called to be used. Now, in addition, this same type of trumpet would be used to gather the people together. For instance, while in the wilderness, the people knew it was time to move when they heard a trumpet sound. Numbers 10.2, make thee two trumpets of silver of a whole piece, similar to what we've referred to already. Make two trumpets of silver of a whole piece, shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. Now Josephus, the very famous Jewish historian, of ancient days noted that in ancient times, the priests would blow trumpets from the southwest corner of the temple to indicate both the beginning and the end of each Sabbath. Those were the uses of the trumpets. The trumpets, the ones made by human hands, were used quite often. Now the shofar, the instrument made from the horn of a ram, the one not made by human hands, was used for various purposes as well. However, there are two very notable and relevant to this discussion purposes for the shofar. For one, 
In ancient Israel, the shofar was used to announce, listen to me, the coronation of a new king. 1 Kings 1.34 And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel, and blow ye with the trumpet, the word in Hebrew is shofar, and say, God save King Solomon. 2 Kings 9.13 Then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew with trumpets, again shofar, actually shofars, saying, Jehu is king. And even this dastardly traitor knew the power of the shofar, 2 Samuel 15.10. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, you guessed it, shofar, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. So to the Jewish mindset, the very special shofar has very special meaning. The sound of the shofar, the ram's horn, signifies the crowning of a new king. The shofar heralds the presentation of a new king. Now, as I said, there's actually a second very interesting, very specific, and very relevant to this discussion use of the shofar, the ram's horn, the horn that gets blown on this day. No one, by the way, no one really knows why the shofar is blown on this day. Scripture is not specific. It just says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. That's all it says. It says just blow a trumpet. God doesn't say blow a trumpet because. He just says blow the shofar. You see there where it says actually a memorial of blowing of trumpets? Well, that's actually presumption on the part of the King James translators. Now, it's informed presumption, but presumption nonetheless. The original word in Hebrew is teruah, and it's actually literally translated clamor, and it's a word used to infer alarm or signal of some sort, even a call to battle. But nowhere does it say anything about a trumpet or even a horn. Now, teruah in the Bible has been associated with the sounding from an instrument. But did you know it could also just as likely mean a shout? So we are talking about the fact that God said a memorial of a blowing of trumpets, and that's presumption. The original word means clamor. So yes, it could mean, and has, that word has been associated with trumpets and horns in the past, but it could also mean a shout. It doesn't have to be a trumpet. So why has there been no deviance from the notion that it's a shofar that's meant here? Why, through all these centuries, has a shofar been blown during this feast? 
As far as memory serves and the records indicate, the Feast of Trumpets has always included the use of shofar and nothing else, not even the silver man-made trumpets. Why? Well, some have speculated that the shofar has been used for this feast because the shofar was specifically identified by God. Listen to this. It's important. Some have speculated that the Israelites started blowing the shofar because to them, the shofar was important to God as heralding the coming of the Jubilee year. Let's read from Leviticus 25. Starting at verse 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years. And the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Forty-nine years. Seven times seven, seven groups of seven years. That adds up to forty-nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet, the word is shofar, of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month in the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet shofar sound throughout all your land. Here in Leviticus 25, God is saying to blow the shofar at the beginning of the year of Jubilee. Some say that's why the Israelites interpreted what God said when he instituted the Feast of Trumpets that he actually meant a shofar, though the word actually means clamor or could be shout. They just assumed that God meant the shofar because it was the very important shofar that heralded the year of Jubilee. What does that have to do with it? Keep listening. Now, in case you didn't know, the Jubilee year, if you've never heard of the Jubilee year, it was a very special and very joyous time. Well, I, I suppose not joyous for all, but joyous for the poor and indebted. You see, in God's system, there is no long-lasting, life-lasting poverty. No such thing. God does not believe in lifelong poverty. In fact, don't kill me conservative people, but God believes in income equality. Now, not the same as the politicians believe, but God does believe in income equality. He built it into his system. He wanted no one to die a pauper. Now, as I've said, you may have been able to pick up on this as I read Leviticus 25, 8 and 9. But in case you didn't, God said that the Jubilee year happened every 50th year. Every 50th year after seven Sabbaths of years, a Sabbath year is a group of seven years. So it's seven times seven years, which is 49 years. After the completion of that 49-year cycle, the Jubilee year, the 50th year, would begin. Let's read verse 9 again. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet 
of the Jubilee, the shofar of the Jubilee, to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. In your King James Bible, you will see the word Jubilee. Now, in my Bible, it's only spelled with one E, but that's okay. We can still pronounce it Jubilee. In your Bible, it should have Jubilee in there. Maybe one or two E's. It depends on your King James. But do you know what word is being translated into the English word Jubilee? It's Teruah. Now, I know it's been a minute or two since we talked about it, but do you recognize that word Teruah? It's the same word we've been discussing. Teruah, that gets translated clamor. Here it's jubilee. So Teruah is associated with the year of jubilee as well as the Feast of Trumpets because it's also found in Leviticus 23, 24. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, you've heard this already, in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. Teruah. Now you may be thinking, so what? Why is that significant? Pull your thinking caps down, as Leslie Hale used to say. This is going to take a little bit of concentration. God commanded that a shofar would be used to signify the beginning of the very special Jubilee year. The Jubilee year was special because that's when all debts were forgiven. Did you hear me? The Jubilee year was when debts were forgiven. God never intended anyone to die in debt. So he built into his program the Jubilee year, but it's also symbolic. And by the way, not only were debts forgiven on the Jubilee year, but that was also when slaves were freed. The blowing of the shofar heralded a time of redemption. Debts were redeemed. Slaves were redeemed. And it was all announced by the blowing of a shofar just like we're going to hear around the world today. No, this isn't the beginning of the Jubilee year. They don't do it anymore, by the way. You will hear the shofar, not because it's the beginning of the Jubilee year, but it's because it's the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets. So interestingly, and in my opinion, by no accident, the shofar is not, listen to me, is not only associated with the crowning of a new king, but a shofar is also associated with redemption. The shofar announces the coming of a king and 
the coming of redemption. I'm just going to give you a second to let those chills that came on the back of your neck settle down. The Feast of Trumpets may not be all that important to the Jews today. It should be. But they'd rather celebrate a new year. The Feast of Trumpets is very important to us Christians. When the Jewish man or woman hears a shofar being blown, they think of redemption. In God's system, the way God laid it out in His Word, the shofar was blown when redemption was nigh and when a new king was coming. Did you know that according to rabbinical tradition, there's this saying? In the month of Nisan, that's the Hebrew month where Passover is celebrated. In the month of Nisan, our ancestors were redeemed, past tense. And in Tishri, that's this month, the month of the Feast of the Trumpets, they will be redeemed in the time to come. The rabbis knew that the Feast of Trumpets would bring redemption. The, and by the way, the rabbis were responsible for interpreting and applying the Word of God for the people. And they said, in the month of Nisan, our ancestors were redeemed, and in the month of Tishri, they will be redeemed in the time to come. And this is just another reason why tradition is so heinous. This day is going to be celebrated only as a New Year's celebration because of tradition. When God wanted it to signify the blowing of a trumpet, much like would happen at a coronation, and what would happen when redemption was at hand? God wanted the blowing of the trumpets for a reason. He wanted in the mind of the people to think of a coming king and redemption. When that trumpet on the Feast of Trumpets, that ram's horn on the Feast of Trumpets was blown, God wanted them to imagine and to think of and to envision a coming king who's bringing with him redemption. And tradition stripped all that away. Again, I say I get that. The temple's gone. But still, it's tragic. I pray you're starting to see the truth slowly reveal itself. Christ our King at His first coming died and rose to save God's children. And you should know, by the way, that isn't limited to any particular race or ethnicity. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
The gospel tells us that, but the gospel also tells us that there's yet another coming. In fact, Jesus himself said, he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. And that's going to be a glorious time. But when is that going to happen? When is Jesus going to come and receive us unto himself? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but it does tell us how we'll know he's coming. Zechariah 9.14, listen to this. Get ready for those chills again. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. Now, can you guess what type of trumpet is referred to in Zechariah 9.14? Shofar. The Feast of Trumpets is one of seven feasts God told his children to celebrate. Now, if you've been with us when we've discussed the seven feasts of Israel before, you will remember that we said that these were far more than just feasts. These were far more than just parties. One thing you should know by now is that, is that God never does anything simply for fun. He may someday, but for now, everything that God commands, even parties, has a very mighty purpose. It all has the same purpose. Everything in God's word has but one purpose, and that's to tell the story of Jesus and the seven feasts of Israel. Take that truth a giant step further. The seven feasts of Israel are actually prophecies. Now, we plan to cover again in this ministry, in this podcast, all of the seven feasts of Israel. We're starting with this one, the Feast of Trumpets. We're going to go over all of this, but for now, know that the seven feasts of Israel are prophecies. Each one of them tells the story of Christ. When God gave those seven feasts, he was giving them stories of the future. What was going to happen? Now, again, if you've been with us, you know this to be true. With the passage of time, we now know that most of the seven feasts have already come true. Jesus has already we use the word fulfilled. Perhaps that's not the right word, but we will continue to use it. Jesus has already fulfilled more than half of the seven. And again, if you've never been with us before, this is all going to be so odd. But we're going to cover those over this next year. We're going to cover the seven feasts of Israel over the next year. But for now, take my word for it. Jesus has fulfilled four of the seven. And by the way, God gave these feasts in chronological order, which is pretty amazing in itself. So quickly, the seven feasts of Israel, both chronological and fulfillment order, are Passover, number one, number two, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Shavuot, 
also known as the Feast of Weeks. We know it as Pentecost. Number five, Feast of Trumpets. Number six, Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Atonement. Number seven, the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the seven feasts of Israel. Jesus has already fulfilled Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, and Pentecost. Over this next year, I'm going to show that to you. Right now, I'm not. I'm just going to tell you about it. And not only did Jesus fulfill, listen to me, this is the amazing part. Not only did Jesus fulfill those feasts, but he fulfilled them in the time of their celebration. Every one of the seven feasts of Israel was supposed to be celebrated at a very specific time during the month. When Jesus fulfilled each of those seven, these first four, he did so on the day that feast was to be celebrated as prescribed in Scripture. All of the feasts were to be celebrated at a specific time of the year. The first four in the spring, Jesus fulfilled those in the spring. And the last three were to be celebrated in the fall. So following the pattern he has already laid out, we can be certain that Jesus will fulfill those in the fall as well. He has not fulfilled the fall feasts yet. Those are the ones that are waiting. He has fulfilled the spring feasts. And again, I know this is very confusing for so many. Stay with us. The seven feasts of Israel were pictures of what Christ was going to do. So naturally, he has been fulfilling them. He's fulfilled them all the way up to the first four. Those first four were to be celebrated by the children of Israel in the spring. The next three feasts, starting with the Feast of Trumpets, were celebrated in the fall. Rosh Hashanah, the traditional name of the Feast of Trumpets, is the fifth of the seven feasts. There's three more to go. Feasts of Trumpets has not been fulfilled yet. We know Jesus will fulfill this feast on the day of the feast as he's done with the others. Zechariah 9 14, and the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, the shofar, and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. Jesus is coming back. There's no doubt about that. Zechariah is telling you what it's going to be like, and the Lord shall be seen over them. And his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. He's coming back. When you say, don't know. But according to Zechariah, a shofar will be blown when he does. Not convinced? Okay. How about this? 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now remember, we said earlier that a teruah, that teruah means clamor, but it also means a shout. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with Paul's doubling it all up for us, tripling it up. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, perhaps a teruah, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's a description from Paul of the return of Christ. It mirrors the passage from Zechariah we just read. And both of those passages mention that his return will be announced by the sound of a trumpet. That's why we study the Feast of Trumpets. That's why Christians shall look toward the day of the Feast of Trumpets. Listen, God's Word is not some dusty, boring, long-winded book of stories. When you take the time to dive into the details, to dive into the intricacies you should find it fascinating. Now, I think that's the case even if you've not received the Holy Spirit promised to each of us at our conversion. Even if you haven't given your life to Christ yet, I just can't see how you could walk away from an in-depth study of this book in nothing short of complete awe. Jesus is coming back. One more time, we, we don't exactly know when, but based on what we've learned from him so far, it sure looks like it's going to be on the Feast of Trumpets. John, are you saying it's going to happen today? I don't know. Could be. When it's 6.37 p.m. in Jerusalem, maybe. I will tell you this, one of these Feast of Trumpets, he will come. Listen, he's already gone past the midpoint. He has already fulfilled four, four down, three to go. That's more than halfway. And because of that, we should be convinced he'll finish the job. I'll leave you with one more passage. It's from the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, where he's once again describing that great and wonderful day. You ready? 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Once again, Paul says, when Jesus comes, there's going to be a trumpet sound. That's what Zechariah says. God gave us the Feast of Trumpets for a reason. Jesus has already filled four of the other feasts of Israel. Coincidence? Maybe. I don't think so. But he is coming. You've got to believe that. Are you ready? If not, it's not too late. If you wait till 6.37 p.m. Jerusalem time, it might be. 
Before that time, ask Him to be your King and your Savior. Ask Him to include you among those that will be raised incorruptible and live in the joyful anticipation of one day, maybe sooner than you think, where we'll all be living with Him forever. In fact, do it now. Don't delay. 637 is coming. Time grows short with each passing feast. You've been listening to Time in the Chapel, a weekly program dedicated to bringing you in-depth biblical study. Join us again next time as we search scripture to learn more about God in your life and you in His plan. Time in the Chapel is a service of Chapel Ministries. Chapel Ministries is a non-denominational ministry with a mission to feed hungry souls. Please consider supporting this program financially. For more information, please visit our website at www.timeinthechapel.com or email us at info at Be sure to look for us on Facebook by searching for Chapel Ministries. Click follow to get all of the latest information.